Hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Well, this is a pretty special extract from one of the most fun classic live episodes we've ever recorded with Danny O'Reilly from the Coronas. To hear the full thing is easy and to hear more deep dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish musicians and people ever to have left our shores, along with our other series and bonus content and exclusive content that no one else can get. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It'll take you a minute to sign up and for less than a fiver, I'll give you access to everything. Hundreds of hours of interviews with the great and the good of Irish people and people with connection to our country. You'll also walk around with a spring in your step of knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Do it. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a very special mental health charity that works to equip young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they'll need to survive this life. You remember how hard it was to be a young person. Maybe you're a young person right now. Well, Jigsaw are trying to help young people And since the pandemic, they've seen a 400% jump in demand for their one-to-one and group services. The impact of their work is immense. I've seen it. I've heard the testimonies from the people it's affected. Why not take two minutes to visit Jigsaw.ie and see if they can help you or someone in your life. Or maybe through a small donation, you can help them. That's Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Jonathan Rigo! Wow. Wow. Thank you, guys. Oh. For the benefit of the listener at home, we are here at the Roisin Dove at the Galway International Arts Festival, and there's about 60,000 fans of the Irishman Abroad here to see this live episode. So let's not hang around. Let's bring to the stage our very special guest of the day, Danny O'Reilly, everyone. Give it up for Danny. Danny, thank you so much for coming along. You even brought the jacket, just in case. (laughs) Didn't trust them enough to leave it at the back of the room. (laughs) Exactly. You like your fans, which is not that much. Yeah. Exactly. God, it it seems like an eternity since we sat down, because so much water has gone under the bridge since 2015. Yeah, it was funny. I was surprised when you said it was only two years ago. As I said, it seems like much longer since we actually had a Much longer, because Danny came out to my house probably the... Probably the first house we lived in in London. We're very lovely house, lovely and clean. 
yeah. We and he had pretty, loads of biscuits for me, which I liked. We yeah. were fresh off the boat. You yeah. were fresher off mm. the boat. The lads were all living in the one house. You yeah. just signed the deal mm. with Ireland. Yeah. And the discussion we had was that the reason why you were so happy to sign with Ireland was mainly that they weren't interested in the back catalogue. Mm. They were interested in the new stuff you'd written. What happened after that to take us to where we are today? Uh, well, it's sort of... It was a strange one because we went into it knowing... We had heard all the horror stories about signing to a major label and, you know, things can go wrong. And we didn't go in naively expecting it all to happen, you know. They came on board late in the, in the day, as you say. They had heard half of the Long Way album and, and they got on board with that. And, and the reason that we signed to Ireland ahead of other labels that we had sort of offers from was because they sort of had this plan that they were going to try and, and release a, a new single and, and go for the juggler and, and go for Radio 1 in the UK and, and try and, you know... Break into the mainstream, Yeah, exactly, yeah. Out, you know, outside Ireland. But they, but they had this plan B as well that we were drawn to because similar to wh- the way we did it here in that, that you know, if, if it didn't take off straight away in radio, they were going to build it up through the colleges, they were going to go to go to regional radio try and build up a following, as I say, the exact same way we did here through touring, like playing in smaller venues and, and building it up from the ground up. And, you know, and that was why we went, went right. to them. But as I said, we were wary. So we sort of said, okay, they're saying all this stuff. Maybe we should just get something in writing that if they don't meet these criteria that they're saying they're going to do... Yeah, we can we, walk. We can walk and we Is can get normal? our album back. That's not really normal. No, most bands just go in and say... And most labels won't agree to that as well. Mm. But we were like, okay, well, if you were saying that, and I have to give credit to our manager, Jim Lawless, and our lawyer, Will Ryan, who put this sort of deal together for us and said, well, if they don't do what they're saying, you yeah. know, you can get the masters back and you alone the long way as your album. You can do what you want to it and you're not tied in to a four album deal, which what the deal was originally. So uh, it all, all went really well. I, like I liked working with Ireland. They were they were lovely people. And do they you seemed, have to say that not now? Not really. Like, e- I, easily I could, I could be bitter now and say, you know, they're nasty people, and but they were never really nasty to us, like you know. They, and even our A&R person who I worked with was lovely, and she sort of explained to me after. She goes, you know, this is sometimes it's the way it goes. Like with, with major labels, like they basically what happened was then they released. This is really honest now, stuff, but uh, they they released just like that, and and they were all, you know, it was it got radio play in the UK, XFM, A playlisted it, which was a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. We thought that was great, but of course for a major label. It was Radio 1 or nothing, and if it didn't happen to Radio 1, then that was it, and they, they didn't want to release any more. I remember when we did a video for How This Goes, but it didn't really get any release, and they they just sort of called us in one day and said, you know, that's it, we're not going <sighs> to push anymore. They, they felt their money would be better spent trying to find the next new What is or, that meeting like? Yeah, I sort of, I sort of think the writing had been on a, on the wall for a while, you know. So and, you smell and you, it coming. Yeah, you, you you're not really hearing as much from them, and and you just could sense something's up, and you're sort of going, well, "What's the story?" Like you know, but thankfully we had that, you know, as I said, that thing in the in the contract that we so we got the album back. It was our album, and we and we got to release it wherever we wanted and license it out to other labels. And thankfully, the long way was our most successful album, you mm. know. So, it, as I say, I, like, I wouldn't change anything, really, you know. The only problem with it was, the only drawback with it was, is we sort of wasted a bit of time where we could have been promoting it earlier, especially around Europe and, and America. We didn't really do as much in Europe, and we didn't do anything in America, and we had done with, with Closer to You, you know. So, and if we had been promoting ourselves, which we are now with this new album, 
with our own label and, and we're licensing the album out to lots of different territories, you know, we get to do as much promotion and as much touring as we, as, as we like. And in a weird way, they were sort of, they weren't like you can't do touring, but they were sort of like, we need to wait until the single comes out to see, yeah. you know, how it goes. And then we sort of make the plan of how much we're going to invest in all this sort of stuff. And we're like, okay. And that's sort of what happened. And then, of course, as I say, it all sort of didn't really happen. You know? I mean, now we look at Trust the Wire. Here's mm. your number one album. Yeah. And the that gamble. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Are, are you allowed to ask for cheers on the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, we did at the beginning and they, they really went for it. Yeah, I won't <laughs> do that again. Sorry. <laughs> it must feel like the relief of seeing that as your first number one album, having gone through what you've just described, yeah. where the big man with the cigar goes, it's yeah. not going to happen, kid. Yeah, it's, it's fun. it was. It was a massive, you know, as you say, it was relief nearly more than, yay, because, you know, we've been around for a while and we, it's not like we don't believe in what we're doing. And, you know, so we, and, and we don't, the other thing is we don't really measure a number one album as success or you know we are proud of the album and you 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 work hard at it and you make it and you just hope that people are going to like it and you hope it does well but we never really go in going oh we need to make this album poppy or we need to have radio hit on this album you know i think if anything we might have done that a little bit more with the long way you know we were thinking okay major label now we're trying to write big you know singles like you know how this goes and get loose you know songs that just jump out of the radio like you know but with just a while we said okay let's just forget about that stuff and let's just do an album that we really like and music that not that we didn't like that stuff but it was just i suppose a bit more just let's just please yourself yeah please yourselves a little bit more and not think about the business side of things And, and that's literally we couldn't fake it that's what that song is about it's about just do remind yourself of what of why you do what you do and you know, doing your own music for the right reasons and, and sort of refocusing your ambition and, and, and remind yourself of what's important and, and trying to forget about, I suppose, the business side of, of the industry. You know? Well, let me ask you this question, because it seems like, you know, when we when we look back at the history of the Coronas, we'll say that that's how it happened. There was that. And then there was this. Yeah. And this is a big turning point. And obviously, Kilmainham's a massive moment in the history. But then I feel like the part that made this is the six months where you've described that it wasn't necessarily writer's block, but there was a dark period where the lads go all different directions. Mm. And that's the point at which it could have all just disintegrated into nothing. Definitely. And I think, like, you know, even though I said we were prepared to a certain extent we didn't have our expectations too high with with the big label in the UK but at the same time it was still a knock like and I think everything with the Coronas has been a small step forward you know we came here the very first time we played in the Roaching Dove there might have been 20 people here and that was great and then we came back and it was you know sold out it was like wow and then we did two nights here and it was wow but it was like slowly over each album it built up it was never overnight we went from you know playing to 20 people to you know playing the Galway Arts Festival. It was, it was, we built up through the venues and it's the same in every city and every, everywhere all over Ireland, you know. And, and so, we had, as I said, we always take those baby steps forward and, and then this was the first knock, the first little... Setback. Setback, you know, where it's like, okay, all right, well, now what? Like, you know, and we didn't want to just go through the motions and do another album. And we did work early last year on a few songs and stuff. We weren't really feeling it. And as you say, we had that six months where I would say... Like, I don't know if it's writer's block is the thing. Like, I don't know what you, where do you feel that when you're, when you're writing yeah. your shows? 
I think it was more a confidence thing and a bit more like I'd try and write something and I'd go, no, that's crap. Really? You know, so it's doubting yourself yeah, more than anything. Yeah, and I think that happens as you get older. I've talked to a few other songwriters and stuff about that as well. You, I think people who are creative in general, there is a certain sort of nearly naive sort of unashamedly sort of uh, confidence. A little bit of delusion that everything yeah, you write's great. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. And when you're in your early 20s, you have that. Like, and yeah. oh, Well, I did anyway. And, I was, and I'd write a song and, it, and like... I would just go, that's the song, it's done, doesn't matter. And even if the next day I didn't feel that way about what I was singing about or whatever, I'd be like, it doesn't matter, that's the song, it's fine. And even if it sounded a bit weird or whatever, you know, like a song like San Diego song, I wouldn't be able to write now. But at the time I had that sort of, you know. Chutzpah. Yeah, exactly. And just sort of confidence and just sort of like, who cares? Like, yeah, so what? Sleep all day, drink all night. So what? What's wrong with that lyric? (laughs) And like, people going, and even Dave, and Dave, our guitar player, who I always bounce lyrics off, and to this day, we do lyrics together, and he's really good at bringing the best out of me, but he was like, can we change that lyric? Like, just a little bit. Just make it just a little bit. Just give it a little bit more depth. And I was like, no, it's not a deep song. It's about just having the crack and being on holidays. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now, as I get older, I don't think I'll be able to write a song like that. Now, that doesn't mean that our songs aren't, you know, are in any way worse. I don't know. I think it's just ch- it changed as you get older. But as I get older, and as I said, I've talked to other writers about this as well, you overthink things a bit and you go, can I say that? Is that all right? Do I want to say that? What do I want to say here? What do I want to write about? Is that lyric okay? Is that lyric okay? Yeah. You know, and then also, what do I want the Coronas to sound like? What do we want the band to sound like? You know, and, and do we want it to do the same thing? You want to just go through the motions and use the same chords that I've been using? Or do we want to try something different? Do we want to try something different with production? Do we want to try something different with sounds and stuff? So I think it just took us a while last year to find that. So I don't know if I would say I had writer's block as opposed to everything I wrote. Yeah, my confidence wasn't as high, but everything I wrote was like, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's what it should be, you know? Well, Here's something I really want to That's a really long answer to that. Your simple question. I love a good long answer. We've been for about four hours. This is the show for long answers. (laughs) If ever. We've missed the gig tomorrow night and everything. (laughs) Sunday morning. When you say, like, do I want to talk about that? Do I not want to talk about that? Are you talking about how personal these albums have become? That there's definitely a trajectory from. That youth, that was a snapshot. Drink all day, sleep all night is a snapshot of where you were at that time, where a lot of us were at that time in our lives. But now when you go this this personal, where you're literally pouring out your heart into these songs, do you ever stop yourself and go, okay, well now (laughs) her.ie is going to join the dots and go, this is about this. Yeah. It's very revealing. I I think it crossed my mind, but in fairness to to the lads... I remember even with The Long Way, I remember at one stage going, God, lads, there's a lot of breakup songs in this album. Like, it's too, like, and they were like, ah, don't worry about it. Like, you know, that's, you know, I think when I'm at my be- at my strongest as a songwriter, I'm most, is when I'm most honest and most vulnerable. And you, people come to moments in the show and I see them singing the outro to someone else's hands or whatever. And it's just like, ah, yeah, like people are like. So, connecting. Yeah, connecting to it. And, and you know, so I, I, it wasn't really, that wasn't as much my worry, like, because I've always been an honest songwriter. And even, you know, San Diego song was, like, you know, honest in its own way, and it was about where we were. But I just think now we're at a different spot, and I ended up having to find how I could write about that. And that's what I was saying about when we wrote We Couldn't Fake It, because 
that was the struggle we were going to. At the time in when we were in college, we were just having the crack and it was easy to write about that. The song just came, that's what we're doing and I'm just going to write about that, that's fine. And now I had to find a way to sort of write about what we're going through now and it's funny because I was really honest in it and, you know, a song like Give Me a Minute is about, you know, saying it's okay to not feel all right sometimes and you have to give yourself credit and pat yourself on the back. And it's, it's funny because a lot of a lot of people now who come to the shows, I think, can relate to that as well. Mm. You know, as I think people who have who have followed us have sort of grown with us as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's cool. I, I found a way to. It, it ended up just writing about what we were going through. Ended up, you know, people could relate to that. Too. Well, let me ask you one final question about songwriting specifically, sure. because the other side of that coin is that you've written this stuff, you write about what you're living and what you're going through, but then your life goes on and there's people shouting out for that song. Yeah. And you've got to yeah. take yourself back there emotionally each night. Yeah. Like, do you then have to kind of adapt the song to be about something else or try and match it up to the feelings you now have about the thing that you wrote it about? Yeah, I think it's more like that. I, like, I very rarely, when I sing a song, like really think about what I was thinking about at then, that time, yeah. you know, the songs changed and sort of, I'd be more just, yeah, using what's going on now maybe to get into it a bit. But even still, like I just, you know, I, I sing the lyrics and it's, I, I just try and make, I don't know, I get into the gig in a different way. I don't get sucked into the lyrics as much and mm. think about what, what was I going through when I wrote Closer to You, for example. I just enjoy the buzz of when we kick in and everyone's like, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and, that's, and that's what I... So that's not as much an issue of, of like dragging myself to a depressing old breakup song or anything, you know? That's yeah. a, a bit like what I was saying about San Diego song. It was sort of what I was feeling on that day. That's cool. But then when I sing about it, I'm not brought back into it every time. At the same time, you know, San Diego song is a party song and it's a bit of crack and everyone gets into it at the end of the gigs or, whatever, or when we play it, you know. But it's not like I'm thinking about that exact mm. afternoon well, when we wrote it. function, I yeah. imagine. If yeah, you yeah. had to those break range up each of, night on stage. Yeah, those yeah. range of emotions every night, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we don't, I don't get sucked in too much to it, you know. I hope this doesn't freak you out at all. It's just never the good start of a sentence, right? Uh, but I listened to an interview you did on Radio Kerry. Oh, yeah. Where Uh-oh. you described how when a band would usually say, we're going to play a new song now, I hope you guys like it. That would usually, when you were going to gigs, be your cue to go to the loo. Absolutely. You really yeah. want to hear some, yeah, 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 yeah. some shit you're trying out. Yeah. And the way that you did it for your crowds to try and trick them into not going to the loo <laughs> was to tell them, this is the very first time we've ever played this song. <laughs> Is that true? And I don't know. And I, there's friends of mine in the front row here, Matteo and, and Emer, who have been to many, many, many <laughs> Crohn's gigs, and they can vouch of how often I said that about songs. <laughs> I used to do even for like the big hit, Addicted to Progress, for example. We ha- we were playing it all through the the album cycle before, and every night we'd be like, "We're gonna do a new song now," and you could see people going, "This is the cues go to the bar." Like, and I go, "But you guys are the very first people <laughs> to hear this song ever, so you have to let us know what you think about it." And it's funny, I have tricks, uh, little tricks like that. You have to use them. You has it, to- has any ever, has any hardcore fan ever shouted up? No, we're not. Yeah. Big time, totally. They yeah, have. yeah, yeah. You said that Noxy is often rolling his eyes as you're doing yeah. it, going, "Oh, not yeah. again!" Yeah. Because I'm, I'm saying that we're playing the song for the first time. Yet there's people in the front row singing every word who have learned the words <laughs> off. It's like, oh, how does this work? But uh, is Noxy so, yeah. that character? Like, I wondered about that when I heard you say that. That he kind of goes, "Oh, Jesus." 
like you're, you and he have a connection that goes back to, you know, when you were toddlers. Yeah. Of all of the members of the group, is he the one that will pull you by the arm and really hit you with the truth? Yeah, I think he will. But he's also, even though he probably does roll his eyes at some of my lead singerisms, <laughs> I suppose. But at the same time, like for Kilmainham, for example, like the second song in was Get Loose, right? Where I don't have a guitar, so I can just sort of dance around the stage a bit. And he was like, get down to the crowd straight away. Like he, he wanted to me to, yeah, wow. he goes, for Get Loose, go down to the crowd straight away. And I go, really? It might be a bit early, like, you know, I'll save that maybe for one of the songs at the end when I go down to the crowd and, and sort of do mm. my bit where I get, but he can see that stuff and he knows, he's very good. Noxie's brilliant at putting together set lists and like, you know, even the music before we go on stage, he puts all that together and he quite, he, it's funny, like everyone in the band has their different sort of roles for different things like that, but like we would always be like, Okay, we need to work on the set list a bit. Like, where's Noxy? Like, give him, give him the pen and paper. Like, you know, How does he, what what is it then that goes into that? What does he know? What's his instinct that way? I don't know. He, he, he just has an, he, he has a knack for it. He, he 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 loves music. He loves going to shows. He loves going to other things, picking things out. Like, and that works really well. And I think he mentioned actually when he says to me, he goes, because me and him went to see Arcade Fire in Malahide, and he goes, second song in. Wynn was down there in the crowd and it was the best thing ever. Like, you need to get down there. Forget so this, this is pre-gig he's yeah. saying this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not actually in the moment. He's No, 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 this is like when we're planning the set list. Planning the set list. You know, because you have little moments like for each song, what's going to happen, you know. So yeah, like there is little things of, of production, especially for an outdoor show like that where it's still bright. So you can't... Tr- and there's 15,000 people there, so you want to put on a, a really good show, but you can't just put on an amazing light show or laser show because it's fully bright so the lights don't really make yeah, as much yeah, of a difference yeah. so we have to find different ways of using production to help the big show like when we do a small show like when we go on tour in, tour in Europe we wouldn't be worried too much about the production we'd have a very small lights package and just play like but for the big shows you have to fill it visually as well like yeah because in some ways when you play Kilmainham you're following the last act that played there yeah, yeah, yeah. So the people that are there are probably maybe at that last gig and comparing your show to that. And it's funny, funny enough because we always, always for all of our big shows, and I think that's why we have a seriously loyal group of people who co- keep coming back to us because we always spend money on the production, like, and we always don't half-ass that. Yeah, yeah, we could easily just go. Oh, we get the cheap light package in and just do the set, like. And we make so much more money, but it's like, no, no, no. We're spending money, fireworks, pyro, CO2, you know, proper lights package, lasers, like the whole thing. Like, And if you go, and I went to see Coldplay in Crow Park three weeks ago, and it blew my mind. Every single song had something, had a bit of production, had, there were all these, and like, I was taking notes, like, you know, this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, like, it, it's, it's. It's true, like, you know, and, and, you know, people go, oh, the bouncy balls are amazing. I go, yeah, thanks, Chris Martin. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. so it, all these little things of production make such a difference to the show, especially when you have a big outdoor show. Like, you want everyone down the back who are just sort of watching, you know, you want them to go, oh, look at that, like, you know, and you want to drag everyone in, and, and we've always spent time working on things like that. So, as I say, Noxie probably roll, roll his eyes at some of the crap jokes I make on stage, but... <laughs> He is very good at going, no, Danny, you need to go out there and, and do your lead singer thing and, and do the crowd surfing. And, and you know, you know, he's, yeah. not, he's never holding me back in that sure. way. You know? And I, I thought about this, right, that clearly 
the bond between you guys is immense. You, the fact that you could live together for three years and not kill each other puts you ahead of so many other bands in terms of I know, yeah. <laughs> the chemistry, right? Yeah. There has to have been fights. There, there just has to have been. Yeah, What's the was. biggest one? Um, oh, no, we've, we've had rows. Oh, come like, on, you've like, got to... It was, we, we, it was so funny because there were five of us, five of us in the house, the four band members and, and Noxie's now wife, Aoife, like, and she had a nine-to-five job, so she'd be getting up in the morning at like eight to go to work. Like She's a graphic designer and... And like we'd be still in the kitchen drinking whiskey, like, oh no, I'll tell you. Well, like, and this is like on a Tuesday morning, like, you know. But uh, that didn't happen all the time now. But uh, so yeah, there was rows, like. But it's funny we never. Are the drows tend to be drink fueled? Yeah, I think for the most part they always are, like, aren't they? or hangover in fueled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, you know, it's funny. I think because we're so close and because we have that bond that we can, we can have the row. I think it's worse if, if someone is annoying you and you say nothing and you bottle mm-hmm. it up and you, you end up sort of resenting that person a little bit and it's just like, I don't know. And then when they're not there, you know, talking about them or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're we, willing to fight over yeah, it, it matters. Yeah, of course, exactly. And I think because we know each other now, we also know it's like, oh, don't 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 like get out of that person's way. Like they're not in a good mood. Like you know or whatever. And okay. And and you know, you know when people need their space or when it you know when you can just have it out or have a bit. You know when it's right to have a big deep conversation about the band as opposed to going, lads, we need to have a meeting here. Like and and you can just sort of have a point and go, well, you know what what are we going to do with this album and, and what do you, what do you really think of that song that I wrote? <laughs> and they'll, they'll go, yeah, it's not great. I go, fuck you. <laughs> So a lot of it is, uh, (laughs) I think we're getting to it, so we're getting there. (laughs) So really it is coming out and saying to each other what you really think tends to be the source of any kind of conflict. Yeah, but it's not even conflict. Yeah, but I do think we're always honest with each other. Like, I think, I have to say, like, you know, we, we got on really well. There was never a question of, even when you were saying we took that break and I wasn't really writing that much and we'd had that knock from Ireland... I don't think there was ever a question of us like stopping or breaking up or anything like that. It was never. It was just. Why not? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't think we'll ever break up in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> people. Some people are like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> but uh, I think we, there's a chance we might end up like taking some time off and doing other things and 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 maybe trying to do some other things. But I think we'll always gig together because it just works. Like I'm people. Some people say to me, oh, would you? Everything but doing a solo album. It's like it's not really on my radar. Like I love being playing music with those three lads. Like is my mm. favorite thing, and I think that's where I'm best. So if I was to do a solo album, I don't think it would be as good. Right. Like you know, it would be different, but it, you know, I don't think it would be as good. And um, I think I'm best in front of those three boys, and and you know, I think we're we're best together. You know, you've grown up together. You've mm. you've been down this road, and I always think that a, the longer it goes on for a band, the better the gear gets but the guys must change you must change across that 10 year period like we are this is a decade now of this yeah. i mean it's like a marriage <laughs> but how do you get <laughs> yeah. you have a successful marriage <laughs> <laughs> well this is the thing it's like i'm i'm 17 years with my missus oh, we are amazing. we like the person i was at the beginning I look at that guy and I really do go, fucking hell, he was a, quite a selfish dude. Yeah. 
What do you look at the Danny O'Reilly from 2007 versus what the Danny O'Reilly now and what he knows? Wow. Um, I, it's hard. I suppose it's hard. I think there was definitely... Yeah, though I probably have that thing of back then we, we, I was probably selfish as well and just sort of... In what way? Well, just sort of going with it, going with the band thing and just sort of probably indulging, like indulging in everything. If you see old pictures of me, I was like two stone heavier, so I was indulging in food, <laughs> uh, indulging in drink and whatever and, and, and sort of... I don't know, but I, again, I don't look back and go, you know, that was a terrible decision or it was wrong or... You know, it's the same way that you probably don't look back at, at, at yourself uh, from the start of the relationship. Sure, it's all a learning experience. Exactly, but yeah. I know what you mean. The, the selfishness is your lack of focus on where we're going and being the best you can be yeah. for the band. Yeah. But I guess the core of the question is, having been through the 10 years, you could, like, time machine stuff. There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irishman Abroad episodes and shows, join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events, and for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicker Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees. Over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe through a donation, you can help them.